last week, as Michael's already said, we began a series in Mark's Gospel. So we're going to be in Mark's Gospel for the next couple of months. And, and we started this biography with Mark making this amazing claim. So he kicks it off with a bang. He says, this is the story of the Messiah, the Son of God. So, so Mark's kind of laid his cards on the table. This is what this book is. It's the story of God himself come to rescue his people and establish God's kingdom. That's what Mark tells us this book is. Now, just imagine if you met someone for the first time. Imagine you're walking through Hartlepool Town Centre and you get to the ramp where such people love to congregate and someone walks up to you and they say, and they say I want to tell you about God's son, the Messiah, who came to establish God's kingdom on earth. Like, what, what, how would you respond to that? Like, I don't, know about, I don't know about the rest of you, but I would be like, I'm sorry, but Home Bargains is about to shut and I need to get some Vimto. Um, uh, and like, that, that would be me done, pretty much. That, that's as much as they get out of me. Like, I, I just, I, I wouldn't pay any attention to that. But imagine for a minute that I wasn't in such a desperate rush for Vimto and I was actually willing to, to enter into a conversation with them. If I was, I would have two burning questions for them. There'd be two things I'd want to know if someone walked up to me and said that. The first would be, what on earth are you going on about? Like, that would be my first question. What does it actually mean for someone to be God's son? What does it mean, or what do you mean, when you tell us that someone is the Messiah? When you say they've come to establish God's kingdom on earth, what does that look like? What does that mean? What difference would it actually make to my life? Lying at the heart of that question would be this. Why should I care about what you're telling me? And why or how would it be good news for me? Like that, that would be my first question. Like, why do I care? Great, there's this guy, God's Messiah, God's Son, Kingdom on Earth. What does it mean? Why do I care? That would be my first question. The second question I'd have would be, why should I believe you? Like, why should I believe you when you're telling me this? Because if you are going to make grand claims, I'm going to need some convincing. I'd be unlikely to say, sounds great, how do I get on board with this? Like, that's just not the way that conversation's going to go. And so Mark kicks off his gospel with this grand claim. Messiah, God's son, God's kingdom on earth. He, he starts it off like this. But now what he does is, is quite interesting because he basically then takes a step back. He's put his cards on the table early. He benches those claims and he goes back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry and simply tells the story of Jesus' life. Those three years of Jesus' life, he just tells the story. And if there's one thing that's remarkable about Mark's account, it's that there's very little flair in it. There's almost no commentary. There's very little where Mark says, and this is what I think this means, or this is what I think was going on here. It's literally just, Jesus did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this. Which means that Mark covers Jesus' ministry those three years in just over 11,000 words. Now, just, just to give you some context to that 11,000 words, some of you will know that I've been writing a book recently. Uh, my book is currently three times longer than that, and so far, all that's happened is some people have talked about some names and someone's had a bath. Um, so, so, so he covers quite a lot in not very many words, and he does that on purpose. Because it, what he basically is saying is, I told you at the start who I believe Jesus to be, but I don't want you just to take my word for it. 
I'm not here to tell you what I think. I just want to present you with the person of Jesus and you can make your own mind up about who he is. I've said right at the beginning, this is who I believe Jesus to be. But now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you the story of who he was and what he did. And I'm going to leave it to you to work out what you think that means, to see if you come to the same conclusion that I did. If at the end of this account of Jesus' life, you agree with me that this is truly the story of God's son, the Messiah, come to establish God's kingdom on earth, you get to decide for yourself. Now, I just want to pause for a minute at that point and just say that's what we're about as a church. That's what we want to do as a church. We want to keep presenting you with the person of Jesus so that each one of us in this room can ask ourselves the question, who do I believe Jesus is? And then crucially, what am I going to do about it? How how is the person of Jesus and what I believe about him going to impact what I actually do, how I actually live? You see, let, let 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 me start a bit like Mark. Let me start by telling you what I believe. Okay, so I believe that Jesus is God. That in the person of Jesus, God became a human being in order to sort out the mess which human beings made of this world. I believe that through his death and resurrection, he offers me forgiveness. He offers me a new relationship with God. He he promises that one day he will return to make everything right again. I believe that Jesus is the only person who has the power to bring imperfect people into relationship with a perfect God. That he is the only one with the power to eradicate the envy and the malice and the anger and the hatred in my heart. That he's the only one who can offer hope for all of the violence and abuse and injustice that exists in our world. And I believe that in following him, we find out what it means to be the people we were created to be. Okay, so that's what I believe about who Jesus is. And because that's who I believe Jesus to be, then this is what I'm going to do about it. I've decided, as a result of believing that Jesus is those things, I've decided that I'm going to devote my life to following him. I want to learn more about him. I want to talk to him. I want to obey him even when it's hard to do it. I want to prioritise loving him and loving his people above everything else in my life. And I believe in doing that, that I will find the satisfaction and the meaning in my life that I long for. That's what I believe. That's what I'm going to try to live because of those beliefs. And and the question really that all of us have to wrestle with every day of our lives is, well, who do I believe Jesus to be? And therefore, how am I going to live my life? What difference does my belief about who Jesus is have to who I'm going to be? Well, If we're going to answer that question, so if you're this afternoon going to answer that question, who do I believe Jesus to be and how am I going to live as a result of that, then we need some information, we need some data, we need to know something about Jesus. And so here's what we're going to try and do in this series over the next few weeks. We're going to present you with Jesus and we're going to ask you again and again to answer the question, if this is what Jesus did, then who does that mean he is? If this is who Jesus is, then who should you be? If this is what Jesus did, then what should you do? If this is what Jesus promised, then how are you going to respond to that? That, That's kind of the point of this series. This is Jesus. 
How do you need to live in the light of that? So let's get into it. Last week, we were right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. And we saw Jesus arrive on the scene with this bang. You've got John the Baptist, who himself has a sizable following. You know, crowds are flocking out to John the Baptist at the beginning. And John the Baptist says, actually, this isn't really about me. It's about this other person, Jesus. So he takes all of his fame and influence. And instead of pointing up to himself, he points to Jesus and says, actually, you need to go to him. You need to see him. So Jesus is already a big deal, almost before he's done anything. And after that, after John the Baptist has done that, then John, then Jesus gets baptised, uh, accompanied by a voice from heaven that Michael was talking about earlier. Then he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Uh, and it's worth just noting at that point that Jesus deliberately uh, goes through as much of what it means to be human as he can. He doesn't dodge being a baby. He doesn't dodge being a teenager. He doesn't dodge any part of humanity. And similarly, he doesn't dodge being baptised which is what he calls us to do if we follow him. He also doesn't dodge temptation. He deliberately goes out and seeks that. And so so Jesus deliberately says, I'm going to experience all of what it means to be human. So, So he does all that. And then in verses, where are we, 14, you get this summary of what he goes about doing. He goes about announcing the good news, proclaiming the good news of God, we're told in verse 14. And the good news is is this, that the kingdom of God is coming, and that to be ready for that, we need to repent, turn away from our sin and rebellion against God, and believe the good news, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. So, So right there, you see what the heart of Jesus' ministry was. The heart of Jesus' ministry was repentance, and belief in the gospel. That's what Jesus was about. He went about proclaiming that. And I just want to make that clear at the start, because anyone who comes to you and says that Jesus was actually about living a good life, or about making us healthy and wealthy, or about any of those things, has failed to engage with what Jesus himself declares his message to be. His message is simple. The kingdom of God is here, and we need to get ready for that by repenting, turning away from our sin, finding forgiveness, and believe in the good news about Jesus. That's what his message was. Anything else, if, if anything else becomes central to Jesus' message, then it's different to what Jesus says it's about. And after that, in verses 16 down to 20, he then calls these people and says, get involved in what I'm doing. I'm going to make you fishers of men, is the famous phrase he uses. He's like, I'm going about declaring this good news, but I want you guys to come and be involved in declaring that good news too. Jesus has always called people to be involved in that, in that work of telling people the good news. When he was on earth, he didn't just take it all for himself. He didn't say, it's all right, I'm here now, I'll just do this. He said to people, no, come and get involved. When he left earth and went back to heaven, he said to people, I want you to be involved in telling people the good news about who I am. He could have chosen other ways. He could have said, I'm going to communicate to everybody through voices from heaven. I'm going to communicate to everyone. I'm just going to zap information into their brains. But he doesn't. He says, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use people. And those people are going to share the good news about who I am and what I've come to do. And so he does that right at the beginning of his ministry. He does that right at the end of his ministry. Uh, and again, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is his call to you too. His call to you is that you should use your time and your money and your energy and your gifts to share this good news. That's always the invitation Jesus makes to people. He says, come Follow me, tell other people about this good news. Because that's what Jesus was passionate about. That's what he spent his life doing. That was what he was committed to. 
His, his reason for being here was to preach this good news. It's interesting, in, in verse 38 of chapter 1, which we won't get to today, but Jesus says this, he says, let's go somewhere else to nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. What does Jesus say? He says, the reason I've come is to proclaim this good news. And so again, he invites us to do that. So we're going to pick up this story in verse 21. Um, we're just going to read 21 down to verse 34. Okay, so let me, let me read that for us. Mark 1, verse 21 down to 34. Let's, let's see what Jesus is doing right at the start of his ministry. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed. They asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. There you have it. Jesus kicks off his ministry. And his ministry basically looks like him touring different places and teaching proclaiming this good news, the kingdom of God, repentance, belief. In this passage, he's in Capernaum. That's where he is. First at the synagogue and then at a friend's house. But what Mark, I suppose, specifically draws our attention to here at the start are these remarkable events that accompany Jesus' teaching. One of the things which accompanies Jesus' teaching is the healing of sick people. It starts with Simon's mother-in-law, but it doesn't end there. Soon the crowds are bringing people with all kinds of diseases, and he heals them. And that is going to be a feature of Jesus' ministry throughout Mark's Gospel. As you read through the Gospel, you're going to see Jesus teaches, and where he teaches, people are healed. Alongside his teaching, there is the healing of people. Now, now I want to suggest this is important. Mark includes those details because he wants us to know about them. And... And I think it's important for us to recognise that that was part of Jesus' ministry. Because if there's one thing that is undoubtedly true, it's that humanity has a physical problem. Like, human beings have physical problems, right? We keep getting sick. We keep getting hurt. Ultimately, we keep dying. I mean, each of us actually only dies once, but you get the point. Like, human beings keep dying. And try as we might we've ultimately proved powerless against those physical problems. We can cure some sicknesses, we can treat others, but we cannot eradicate sickness, and we certainly cannot eradicate death. Sometimes we can delay it, but we cannot defeat it. And if there is going to be any ultimate, long-term, permanent hope, for human beings, we are going to have to find a, a solution to our physical problems. 
Like, like without that, there can be no long-term hope for us. And then suddenly Jesus appears. And he has the power to cure illness with just a word. He speaks and illnesses disappear. He touches and diseases vanish. And that is what God's kingdom promises. God's kingdom promises us a world where illness and disease is entirely defeated. The Old Testament always promised that. So the Old Testament always looked forward to the kingdom of God as, as a kingdom that would come and bring healing to his people. The Old Testament looked forward to the time where God would send a servant who would make blind people see and the lame walk and would heal all our illnesses. God's kingdom was going to be a place of physical restoration. I mean, don't, don't we long for that? Don't, don't we long for a world with, where our physical issues are banished? where sickness is gone, where ageing is no longer accompanied by decay, where death does not hang over us every day of our lives. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't we want that? Don't we want that? Well, of course we want it. But if we want it, we've got to ask the question, well, where are we going to find it? I, I don't know. If that's something you want, where do you think we can find it? I guess, uh, I guess there's a, a few different answers to that. So for some people, they think, they, they think we'll find that in science. I've been, I was struck by, um, during the COVID pandemic, how, how much of the uh, kind of uh, dialogue around that was about how amazing science was. And science was amazing, right? We turned around a vaccine unbelievably quickly, managed to, managed to do it. But at its heart, what it showed us was that a disease can grind our society down to a halt pretty quickly. And it takes us quite a long time to do anything about it. I find it hard when we tell that story as a triumph of science because what it actually shows is that illnesses still have unbelievable power over human beings. And though we can do stuff about it, it will take us a very long time and there'll be a large cost associated with that. So if our hope is in science, that science is going to solve the physical problems in our world, well, it hasn't so far, and I'm not sure how much confidence we can have that it will in the future. So for some people, that's where they find the hope. For others, they find the hope in, in kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but, you know, superstitions, energies and crystals and like all kinds of things. That's where they, that's where they looked for. This is where we're going to find the solution to our physical problems. We're going to find them in, in, in faith healers or in crystals or in positive energy or in, you know, whatever it is. Is that, where, is that where you're looking? Is that what you're looking to, to solve the physical problems of our world? Because I think they're going to disappoint again and again and again and again. I just don't think they're up to the job. Maybe for some of us, we actually just gave up hope a long time ago. There is no solution to our physical problems. We're going to keep getting sick. We're going to keep hurting. And one day we're going to die. And that's all there is to it. Maybe that's where you are. But what Mark presents us with is, is he presents us with a person. This person, Jesus. And he comes. And he says, I've come to bring a kingdom, and in this kingdom there is healing. In this kingdom, everything that physically opposes us, all viruses, all infections, all congenital defects, all deterioration, they are banished simply by the power of my word. Now that would be great, wouldn't it? All physical pain and illnesses gone 
If that's, if that's on the table, if someone offered me that right now, said this is there, you can take it, I'd want it. I'd be like, yep, yeah, I'll sign, I'll sign up for that. that. That's a thing I'd like to be part of. If I lived in a world where all sickness and illness and all physical problems would be gone, I, I would love that. But it still wouldn't be enough. Still wouldn't be enough. If I lived in a world where all illnesses and disease and even death were defeated, I would still face all kinds of problems in my life. I still wouldn't live in the world I long for. Well, why not? Well, because the world would still be a place of evil. I would still live in a world of betrayal. Haven't solved that problem. Still live in a world of depression, of anger, of malice, of insecurity, of injustice, of inner turmoil of sleepless nights. I still live in a world of temptation, of destructive impulses, of doubts. You can take away all the physical problems in the world and the world still wouldn't be what I want it to be. Still wouldn't be there. Because humanity's problems go further than the merely physical. There is, the Bible will say, evil in the world. There is abuse and exploitation and random destruction and greed and envy and all kinds of evil all around us. And more than that, the Bible will say that some of that evil is actually within us. That each of us is capable of terrible things, that our thoughts often go to dark places, that we are guilty of at times giving in to those thoughts. And that brings us to the other element of Jesus' ministry that we see here. The element of how Jesus deals with impure spirits, with demons, with evil spirits, whatever you, your translation says. The account of Jesus in the synagogue and in this man is similarly stark. This man comes to him. He's described as possessed by an impure spirit. He cries out to Jesus, what do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? Jesus, though, is as abrupt with the demons as he is with the sickness. He's having none of it. He orders the impure spirit out of the man and the evil spirit departs. You see, the Bible's always clear that humanity's problems are more than merely physical. It goes deeper than viruses and infections and genetics. The Bible will say that there is evil, that humanity has a spiritual problem as well as a physical problem. That not everything we encounter is merely the result of biology and chemical reactions, but that there is also a spiritual reality that there are spiritual forces at work in our world who are opposed to God and opposed to the people he created. And again, just as we're going to see in Mark's Gospel, sicknesses and Jesus healing them again and again and again, we're also going to see these demonic forces at work throughout Mark's Gospel. And we're going to see a couple of things in common when they appear. The first is, we're going to see that they are always destructive. Always. 100% of the time. They're always looking to tempt people to do evil or to injure or to kill. Like that, that's their intention. There's never a demon that has positive intentions that's looking for the good of people. They're always looking to hurt, harm, injure or kill. That's the first thing we're going to see every time they appear. The second is we're always going to see that Jesus is more powerful than them every single time. That when they tempt him, he is able to resist. 
that when they challenge him, he is able to cast them out. That when they look to injure or harm people, he is able to prevent them. That's what you can see again and again in Mark's Gospel. Now I'm aware that when I start talking about demons and spiritual forces, all kinds of ideas spring into people's heads. Many of them have little or nothing to do with the way the Bible presents them and more to do with, I don't know, what films you happen to have watched. But I just want to be clear that it seems to me, as I look around the world, that there is evil and suffering and pain and temptation and opposition to God, which cannot merely be explained by physical or sociological means. That, that, that rings true of the world that I see us. Not, not everything I see in the world can be explained purely as a result of sociology or physical issues. And that's what the Bible will repeatedly say, that there are spiritual forces of evil at work in this world that are committed to our harm rather than our good. That's how Jesus' ministry starts. He starts with his teaching. And as he teaches, we see the signs of the kingdom arriving. We see physical healing occur. We see spiritual evil being cast out and being opposed. We, we get this glimpse of a kingdom where there is no more evil and there is no more physical suffering. On Wednesday this week, um, Athol did what, my, I guess, a lot of people did. Um, which was he sat down at a computer and frantically looked through all the homework that he hadn't done over the Christmas holiday that needed to be needed to be submitted the next day. So he sits down at his computer and he goes on, online, he looks through the long list, which he'd rightly, I want to say, rightly neglected over Christmas. Christmas is not a time for holiday. Uh, I mean, not a time for homework. Um, and so, so he'd rightly neglected it and he sits down, he looks through his long list, he's like, right, I'm going to smash out this homework so I'm ready, ready for tomorrow. So he's up there and he's, he's bashing through his homework on the top floor. Um, and as he's bashing through it, I, it, was, it was inevitable this would happen at some point. I, I hear a shout, Dad! I need you to help me. Now, I am 40 years old now. And, and as a result, do not take kindly to being summoned to the top floor of my house. There are too many stairs and I'm too tired to keep going up. So I respond, as I always do, what do you actually need? Right? I'm, I'm not willing to run the risk of a wasted journey. Like, What is it you actually need? And is it something I cannot offer help with? To which the response is nearly always the same, which is, I just need you to come and look at something. I'm like, could you just be more specific? That, that instantly makes me suspicious that I'm going to be, it's going to be a wasted journey. But anyway, so I trudge begrudgingly up the stairs and I get to the top of the stairs and, and in front of me uh, is, is a screen which says the, the deadline for this homework has expired. This link no longer works. Right, is what it says. And, and to which he then explains to me the issue. The issue is he'd been set some science homework uh, and the science homework had had a deadline of the 5th of January, but when he clicked on the link, then it said that the deadline had already passed, despite the fact it wasn't the 5th of January. Now, I was rightly extremely sympathetic to this, to this issue, but I have to be entirely clear. I wasn't sure what he wanted me to do about this. Like, like what was it that I was offering into this problem? Like, he's got this problem that the link's not working. What could I do about this? Like, I, theoretically, I could, I don't know, hack into the website and change the link, but that is neither within my skill set, nor is it a thing that I would, would do. You see, we, we have a problem which comes uh, often, which is there's actually no point Athel calling me to the top floor at that point, because it's not something I can actually do anything about. It is just there. He is as qualified to deal with that issue as I am. Now, 
That, that's often, I mean, I consider myself to be a relatively competent and capable dad, but that's often the situation I, I find myself in, that my children are asking me to help with something, and when it comes down to it, I've got nothing to offer. Like, there's nothing I can bring to that situation to make it any better. I, I say that because Mark here presents a very different picture of Jesus. Because Jesus is presented here as the one who can actually deal with the real problems you have in your life. You know those issues that you're tempted to like, I don't know, ring your mum up and be like, oh, I'm poorly. Like, what's she going to do about it? Like, she can offer you nothing other than like a bit of sympathy, which is probably why you ring her, because you're not getting any at home. Um, like, like that, we, we contact people, we talk about these problems, but they've got nothing to offer us. It's like, what do you actually want me to do about that? Jesus is very different. He is the one who can deal with your physical problems. He is the one who can actually offer you hope in the midst of your sickness, who can actually offer you a future without pain, who can not only offer you comfort in the face of death, but a sure victory over it in the future. He is the one who can deal with your spiritual problems. He can give you the strength to resist temptation. He can eradicate evil and injustice. He can defeat all powers which are working towards your destruction. You see, Jesus is presented here very clearly as he is the one who can actually deal with the problems that have defeated and confounded human beings throughout history. Sometimes I worry that you guys might get fed up of me constantly standing up here and trying to encourage you to pursue and prioritise Jesus. Uh, sometimes I worry that you're gonna, you just sit there and you listen to me and you're like, oh, Ben's just banging on about that again. Will you just lay off for a minute? Doesn't, doesn't he understand that my, that my life's complicated? Doesn't he understand how busy I am? Doesn't he get how stressful my life is? Doesn't he understand the pressures of work and family and illness and all the other things which make up my life? Like, why is he constantly calling on me to do this thing when my life's so complicated and such a mess and so many things going on about? Will he just leave off me for a minute? But the reason I do it week in, week out, say, keep pursuing Jesus, keep prioritising him, is because he actually has the power to do something about those situations. I don't. I can't sort out the mess of your life. But Jesus actually can. If you've got physical problems, Jesus can actually do something about those. If you've got spiritual problems, Jesus can actually do something about those things. It's not that I don't care about those other things in your life. I do care. But I know that Jesus is the only one who can actually offer us any hope in the midst of them. Money and time and your own abilities and new opportunities and all those things that you run after thinking, this is going to sort out my issues of my life. They will never be strong enough to deal with the problems you're going to face. They'll never be strong enough to deal with your physical problems. They'll never be able to offer us hope, the hope we long for, in a world that's so full of evil. Only Jesus can do that. So what do we do? Well, we go to Jesus and we pray for healing. We go to Jesus and we ask him to deliver us from evil. We go to Jesus and we ask him to help us resist temptation. And as we do that, we, we read these accounts in Mark's gospel of him healing the sick and casting out demons. And we have confidence that he has done it in the past, that he can do it now, and that he has promised us that he will do it in the future. And so what I'm going to suggest is as we end now, that we just spend a bit of time doing just that. 
I don't know what the issues in your life are, so I'm going to give us a bit of time and quiet. And I just want us to think through what are the things I could take to Jesus. Those things that I'm running frantically after more money to try and solve. Those things that I'm frantically pouring all my abilities into and putting all my hope on myself or other people that I could actually be taking to Jesus now. The one who is actually strong enough to deal with our physical problems, strong enough to deal with our spiritual problems. Let's spend a few minutes doing that.